Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, 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 and welcome back once again to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Uh, it is a gloriously snowy day here in the UK at the time of recording, at least it is where I am. Tyler Francis, is there snow in London or are you uh, nice and clear? You know, I, I don't know about this snow. Everybody keeps telling me it's snowing, but I, I still have yet to see it, unfortunately. Um, no, it's, it's it's been raining a lot here, but no snow. What about you? What about over, over where you are, Francis? We live at opposite ends of the city, so... We do, we do. And unfortunately, I'm sort of facing the same thing that you are. The The most that we've had here, I'd say, is thick rain, <laughs> is the way I describe it. it. It wasn't quite snow, but it was very visible. I promise you it is snowing and it is ridiculously thick and white. Looking out my window, I am blinded by just the sheer amount of sparkly white snow outside um, but anyway, I'll, I'll consider you guys lucky because everything just shuts down where I live when it's the, the tiniest sprinkling of snow. So it's been a bit of a nightmare trying to get anywhere or do anything. I love snow, though. I know. I love playing in snow. They're like the concept of snow is fantastic. But living in the countryside, just you are literally stuck at home, which is fine because then you get to enjoy the snow. But anyway, less less snow, more fintech. What are we going to be talking about this week? Uh, Francis, what's your article? So this week, I'm going to be discussing some findings from Novo Payment about how small banks are turning to banking as a service solutions to keep pace with larger banks. Amazing stuff. And Tyler, what's your article? This week, I'm taking an article from our monthly theme. And today we're going to be discussing how the advent of the metaverse is bringing together different sectors of fintech. What about you, Polly? Amazing stuff. Uh, And then I'm going to be looking at... Um, how Equifax has made the mortgage industry more financially inclusive using bill payment data. Um, but Francis, I'm going to pick on you. You can go first this week. Thank you very much, Polly. So yeah, Novo Payment has released a new research report revealing factors impacting digitization efforts at smaller banks and credit unions. The research produced in collaboration with Forrester Consulting also indicates a rise in leaders embracing banking as a service partnerships to level the playing field against larger financial institutions. So historically, smaller financial institutions have had a reputation for delivering better customer service and offering higher engagement than bigger banks. However, in recent times, this doesn't seem to have been the case as much. In fact, it seems that bigger banks and these larger institutions are in fact offering better digital offerings, which, you know, is historically what what the smaller guys have been known for. So the Novo Payment 2023 Nimble Bank playbook was created from the findings of a survey of over 200 digital transformation decision makers at local and regional banks and credit unions with less than 10 billion worth of assets under management. The research found that leaders of smaller banks and credit unions are under increasing levels of pressure to catch up. 87% of leaders have seen an increase in demand for digital services in the last 24 months, while 80% also expressed concern that their clients will move to larger banks. And of course, for, for smaller banks, you don't really have the luxury of a lot of clients. So, you know, that, that level of, 
of customer service is usually what keeps people about and if you're not really offering that then what do you have to offer and i think that is a big problem so how could banking as a service change the face of smaller institutions well research revealed that small local and regional banks and credit unions plan to partner with be or bass banking as a service providers to implement the following next gen digital initiatives 51 percent plan to pursue integration with additional third per- third party providers 50% plan to implement online account opening, 49% plan to implement credit credit decisioning, and 49% plan to implement the creation of Greenfield Banks. What I really wanted to discuss with you guys is, does this come as a shock, really? Because I think historically, in sort of every, every world, sort of world that I think of, you know, the small guys are always known for, for their level of, you know, personalization. They, they don't have as many clients which generally means that they can offer better services to you that are more tailored to you. So as a small bank, what do you, or a small banking provider, small financial institution, it's not exclusive to banks. What do you think they need to do more to really compete with these larger institutions who are, as the article mentioned, catching up and who are doing the things that previously the smaller banks were known for? And I mean, you've got to give credit to these larger institutions because they are adapting, you know, it's they are finding ways to survive and ways to compete. But I think it is a really interesting scenario and an interesting world. And what can the the smaller institutions now do to really, you know, survive? Tyler, what are your thoughts? Well, I thought this was a a fascinating take on on the race between the two, uh, the two competitors in the banking industry. I, I think in order to to compete, I think, uh, as, as you mentioned in the article, I, I think the only way forward really is to is to come together with different entities along your your horizontal offering and and see what you can bring to the table that's new and use each other's strengths uh, as an advantage against the the larger competitors. Um, we've always talked about the power of collaboration and and what it holds for. Uh, fintech innovation in banking specifically so i really think that sort of a collaborative approach in this would be the way forward you you mentioned about banking as a service as well obviously that's that's very very big in the industry at the moment so i'm sure uh, many will be be looking to use that to their advantage as you mentioned they were also forming partnership with partnerships with third-party providers to facilitate that transition what what really i didn't get about the article however, is that we recently ran an article, a, a different article on AppRadar, which looked at the, this is just a very, very small slice of the picture, of course, but AppRadar was looking at the the app downloads, uh, a year-on-year view between now and 2022, uh, and it actually showed that uh, the, the app downloads for incumbent banks and larger banking institutions was actually on the decline whilst the the app downloads for smaller challenges if you will uh was actually on the rise so i think there's there's sort of rises and falls in different areas here and i think that in instance of the app radar findings that the challenger should really be using uh, their digital nimbleness to their advantage in in partnering with with uh people along their horizontal I think that's a really, really interesting point to sort of bring in those findings because, you know, they completely or they give hope, I would say, because I think when I saw these findings from Novo Payment, I'm not going to say I was worried necessarily. 
I, yeah, I, I wasn't really worried. It's just I felt that it was concern. Maybe not even concerning, but it was just an interesting find, really, in the sense that you know the, what they're known for. The the biggest selling point is no longer the selling point. So I thought this is what I, w- I wanted to discuss with you guys, and this is why I think it is so interesting that you brought up those stats, Tyler, because it still says that there is faith in these smaller banks. There, it still shows that sure they might not be having this, you know, exclusive offering anymore. But that doesn't mean to say that they're not still on the rise. So I think those findings from App Radar are really, really interesting and do provide a bigger picture, which perhaps the Novo Payments findings don't suggest. Polly, would you agree with Tyler that, you know, partnerships are still very much the key factor for for the survival of these smaller institutions? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously partnership and collaboration is something that we've spoken about for a very long time now, both sort of on the podcast and at the FinTech Times editorially as well. Um, and I think just being able to have those partnerships and have those collaborations really helps to ease um, the pressure for, you know, smaller banks, smaller credit unions, um, et cetera, et cetera. I think what what I particularly like is how um, the study from Nova Payment was called uh, the 2023 Nimble Bank Playbook. And I think nimble really is the key word here, right? Like in order to succeed, fintechs or financial institutions, you know, the, the smaller little players, they really need to be nimble. They need to be able to act um, sort of as quick as they can. But obviously they don't necessarily have the resources available to them uh, as a bank does, a big bank uh, does, which is where, you know, the partnerships and the collaboration really, really come in. Um, so no, I think I agree with everything Tyler said, really. It's just all about how you can sort of succeed for your customers, for your clients. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you, t- in order to meet your customer demands and stay competitive in the market, you don't necessarily have to, you know, stay on your own. Like it's all about collaboration, being agile and gaining everything that you can. And if Bass is how to do that and Bass Partnerships is how to do that, uh, I'm all for it. You know, it's funny you mentioned like the title of the of the findings, just because it's, <laughs> I think it is a really fun way, rather than just you know the partnerships report that we sometimes see. the The idea of a playbook. I, I'm a big fan of American football, and obviously that's what they call the the book, which has all the different plays in it. And the whole idea is to try and outsmart the opponent by doing something a little bit wild, a little bit wacky. And the idea that these, you know smaller banking institutions might be doing these wacky crazy sort of out of the box thinking i mean sure it might be a stretch to make that that link but i think it is a really fun way to look at you know the future of these smaller banks is that they need to think out of the box they need to think of competitive ways to outsmart their opponents and again using t- the findings that tyler's brought up from app radar that would suggest that they're doing that so yeah being nimble and adaptable and being as smart as some of the best play callers. Let's let's say that's what small banking institutions need to do. Anyways, moving on. Tyler, I'll go to you as uh, I quite like the uh, the article that you've brought to the table today. Thanks, Francis. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, that opening to the conversation and we shall uh, continue to watch that space, definitely. So yeah, as I mentioned in, in our intro, I've, I've taken a little... Uh, a little article from our monthly coverage of innovative tech uh, this month, which is obviously really exciting, has actually become very popular. So well done for to Tom Bleach, who we had on the, the podcast the other day. Uh, well done for, for organizing all of that. 
Um, so yeah, essentially, what I what I really wanted to bring to the table today was uh, we, this article looks at consolidation within the metaverse and how that's going to bring together different fintech sectors and ultimately what it will do for the end consumer experience. I thought this is a really, really fantastic article and it's actually brought together on the topic of consolidation. It's actually consolidated a lot of industry experts too. So that was really, really exciting to see. Um, if we just run through who those experts are and what they say, we have Julia Streets of Streets Consulting, obviously a, a frequent feature in the FinTech Times for her invaluable insight. Uh, and she she talks about FinTechs creating this sort of amazing experience by mixing elements drawn from uh, different parts of the industry. She specifically uh, references metaverse and the use of real estate in that uh, and loan financing and insurance. Um, she I love that she touched upon real estate because it's something sort of a bit of a gray area a little bit in, in terms of the metaverse, but we have seen that come forward. So I would agree with what she's saying. Julia is actually followed by Alvin Kahn of BNB Chain. Um, and he actually explains how it's creating like a new asset class within the within the metaverse where people can sort of invest. Again, he touches upon real estate and what he's saying. Um, and he, he says it will create a new investment opportunity for fintechs to sort of place themselves on, on this uh, unified platform. And this idea of a unified platform is actually carried on uh, by Kamala's Ladi of Ladi and Partner Consulting, who also contributed to the article. Uh, Kamala, she talks, of course, about the, the unified platform, but also how it could be used for financial education and about uh, how it could, it could be used to sort of educate and increase participation in different areas of the industry. She specifically mentions uh, instances of trading, peer-to-peer -peer lending, cross-border payments, of course, as well, could all go through the metaverse. Um, so it's, it's a very, very interesting um, take. I think one of the, the defining uh, comments in the article, however, is right at the bottom. It comes from Justin Pasalacqua, who is the North American Chief Market Officer of Worldline, obviously needs no introduction. He, he does talk about creating like a unified platform for everything. Uh, he gives a very good example of uh, avatars going to a virtual gym and they have their membership payment paid for with their digital wallet or maybe they're using NFTs or maybe directly from a bank account. Or, of course, in that one sentence, he's brought in a lot of different elements of technology. He goes on to talk about insurance, lending, um, the, the use of buy now, pay later in certain instances. And of course, goes back to what Alvin Kahn was talking about with uh, the new asset class. He also talks about the wealth management aspect of it. In all in all, he says it, it will create an elevated experience for anybody who uses the, the metaverse. And I did really, really like this article. I think the metaverse is obviously a, f uh, a fascinating area of the industry. But I'm, I'm just really struggling to see, this is quite a pessimistic view, but you can bring in everybody that you want from the fintech industry, but I just don't really see how it's going to catch on unless the metaverse drops or lessens, should we say, its sort of uh, association with gaming. In a way, I, I just don't really... Like for example, in in um, Justin's part at the end, in in the in uh, from Worldline, he talks about, as I said, the use of uh, gyms in 
in uh, in the metaverse. And it's like, how is a, uh, how is a virtual gym going to do anything for your physical health? You know, and I just I'm not really on board with where with where the metaverse is going right now. And I know that's a bit hypocritical of me because I was on stage a few months ago talking about payments in the metaverse and how wonderful that would be. But I'm really starting to, like, I'm really struggling to see how this was actually going to be applicable, no matter how many people you bring on board to it. What are your guys' thoughts? I know, I sorry, I just sort of got a bit of word diarrhea there, but I'm really, really interested to see what's your take on the metaverse. Do you think that, the the consolidation of different people could overcome its sort of uh, the barriers to entry. Francis, what's your take? I really appreciate the honesty there, Tyler. I think a lot of the time, you know, we hear about technological advancements and the instant response is, this is fantastic, this is great. So I think it is quite refreshing to hear a point of view which says, no, I don't agree with this. And I think the points you've raised are extremely valid as well. You know, a virtual gym, you're right. How does, you know, the gym is something that you have to physically do to help better your health. And if you're going to a virtual one, it's virtual, right? Your, your why would you pay fit. for that? Was it, no, 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 I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying like, yeah. this, is, this is what I mean. It's, exactly. But one thing that I do find very interesting about the metaverse, and you might not agree with me here, feel free to disagree. But when we've thought about digitization and, you know, the advancement of technology, a lot of the time we look towards automation and automation removes the, the human element from, from the process, essentially, you know, you know, and a lot of the times it's good and it, and it, and it works very well, but I think it's important to have that human touch. Right. And if we look at chatbots and AIs and, and all these different elements of, of, of things, we see a lot of the time, a lot of frustration emerge because people, customers and businesses alike, probably more so on the customer side of things, if I'm being honest, they're not getting the, the answers that they want and they're not feeling like they're being heard because they just get referred to these frequently asked or FAQ pages, right? And it just doesn't seem to really be doing justice to the, to the great thing that is the digitization. One thing that has been highlighted in, or a couple of times actually in the, the article that you mentioned and in other ones that we've we've done this month was Slava Podmarini, I believe his name is, CEO of technology partner Visacek, explained how the metaverse could specifically improve the relationship between fintechs and customers. And this, you know, in, in addition to a comment from John Burris, president at Metajuice, in another Metaverse article that we've done at the FinTech Times, the two of them seem to both highlight the importance of communication and how, ironically, the the emergence of the Metaverse could actually create more of a human touch for people. And I get the, the irony in that, the idea of you're going into digital. Theoretically, that usually means a decline in, in sort of human interaction. But I think the Metaverse does have a very, very good opportunity to bring people together. Sure, it might not be, I think it needs to, you know, not be a replacement for real life, but in terms of a way to communicate with people, for example, in a better way, like let's say you're going to an event, right? Uh, an, an event with panels, right? Not like a, a festival or anything like that. But um, you, you're not able to actually attend in person for whatever reason. You're not able to fly out. You can't afford it perhaps, or there's, it's just not feasible. To have this virtual experience where you can go around and talk to people as if you were there, 
I think I can't remember where it was, but I think that is a really, really cool idea. And it is a way to ensure, you know, connectivity. And for people that have sort of mental health issues or like anxiety and stuff who aren't really able to attend, you know, events for whatever reason, I think this is a very good way of, you know, overcoming that and in turn creating a more inclusive society. I get where you're coming from, Tyler. I completely do in the sense that, you know, it, it does have a long way to disassociate itself with gaming. But I do think there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we are going along the right lines. Sorry, I kind of went on a bit of a ramble there, but... You did, yeah. I think, um, yeah, you've raised a lot of points, first of all. Um, I think, yeah, it's definitely got some benefits to it. That's, you know, I'm, I think it's it's lack of relevancy in some areas doesn't undermine the benefits that it does bring forward. Uh, Polly, what's what's your what's your take on this? We might need to do it quickly, but so don't worry, I'll be quick. Uh, so I am going to agree uh, quite heavily with Tyler and sort of go down your route in saying I don't get it. I don't get the metaverse. I've never got the metaverse. I don't understand what it is. I don't understand what it's going to be like. In my head, it's going to be like Ready Player One. That's kind of how it's been pitched to me. At least when I've read stuff, it's going to be like Ready Player One, and we're all going to go and. Like you say, go to the virtual gym and go to virtual shops and live in this virtual world. And I just don't get it. And I probably shouldn't say that because, you know, being a fintech journalist, it's my job to to get these kind of things. But I just don't get it. And I don't see how it's going to have an application to, to like real life. And I feel like a lot of just generally speaking, kind of no one else seems to know how it's going to impact people's real lives and people's, and you know, different industries. I feel like there's a lot of like hype talk and a lot of you know, saying how amazing it's going to be and how cool it is, but actually we're not there yet and no one really knows. Again, that's just from what I've seen. I could be completely 100% wrong and I would be, you know, obviously hold my hands up to that, but I just I just don't get it and I just don't see how it can be useful. I don't see how it can be practical. Um, and this, I mean, if it's like an immersive, interactive environment for like buying and selling and like trading, like, I guess, I don't know, crypto or game assets or like gaming, that is how it made sense to be. But now it, it's sort of turning into something else. And that's, I just don't get it. So I, I'm completely with Tyler. I just, I, to me, in my head, it's a game. So I, the fact that it's apparently not a game anymore just completely confuses me. And that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't think I'm qualified to say anything else about the metaverse when I just completely do not understand it at all. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to comprehend with the metaverse, isn't it? And it's like, if you if you cut it like at any other point, there's always a different answer to it in a way, which is which is, is what makes the the uh, conversation so fascinating. Um, but yeah, this is part of our innovative tech uh, outlook on on uh, this month. So I'd advise anybody to who's interested to head on over to the fintech times to to discover more. But why don't we have, head over to your article? Why don't we finish up with that article, uh, Polly? Yeah, thank you, Tyler. Um, so my article is uh, very much not about the metaverse, uh, but it's how Equifax has made the mortgage industry more financially inclusive uh, using bill payment data. So US-based consumer credit reporting agency Equifax has made specific telecommunications, uh, paid TV and utility data available to the mortgage industry uh, in an effort to help support financially inclusive lending. So obviously, when you want to buy a house, you get a lot of credit checks and other different checks on kind of like your finances and things like that. Yeah, so traditionally, obviously, um, credit reports don't tend to use things like, you know, rent or 
you know, paying for your regular expenses. Um, so this actually could make a huge difference to sort of consumer financial profiles. Um, and the move could enable more than 191 million consumers in America to achieve better opportunities for home ownership. Uh, so I just thought this was really interesting. Obviously, we talked about mortgages a lot and just sort of generally we've spoken about financial inclusion before. So I thought this would be really cool to bring up today and sort of talk about credit checks a little bit more and how much that, you know, you guys are, I guess, sort of your thoughts on just sort of credit checks in general, because I know one of sort of the major criticisms of credit checks and stuff when you're looking to get a mortgage is that they don't tend to take into account like rent payments, even though a lot of the time rent payments are a lot more expensive than a mortgage and you're paying it regularly. So that should therefore show that you'd be a good borrower, but they're not taken into account. So I wonder you know, is this a step in the right direction using sort of telco um, and other utility data um, in credit reporting? Because, you know, a lot of uh, more data drives better decisions. That's something that we've learned throughout, you know, the industry, throughout, you know, the world. When you have more data, you can make better decisions. So clearly this would be a good thing. Um, But what do you guys think? Uh, Francis, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? I completely agree. I think it would be a fantastic addition to be more inclusive and you know the more like you said the more data you have the better the decisioning can be i think it works really nicely with uh, a guest post that we recently received from synapse which was looking at gig workers specifically but it was talking about how you know when gig workers are applying for a mortgage and stuff their their jobs aren't really considered you know stable income so therefore when they're applying for a loan of any kind really it doesn't even need to be a mortgage of just any type they're not given it because they're not seen as reliable, you know, borrowers when in actual fact they are. So I think the, just in general, the more data you have, it's always going to be beneficial. And so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great thing from Equifax. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, completely agree with everything you've said. And, you know, it just ties in with stuff we've spoken about before in terms of like, you know, better access to financial services um, and different opportunities and things like that. And, at the end of the day, if if this move helps people buy houses and get on the property ladder, then it, how can it be a bad thing, right? Um, but Tyler, what, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, I think this is a really, really good example of fintech inclusion in action. And I think that we should be using all the data points possible to assess people on their credit worthiness and when distributing mortgages especially, but also when making short-term loans. I think that... This use of data from the from the telecom side of it, from the pay TV, uh, is is really really special. I think that it'll it'll go further to to make sure that people get the services that they need and services also more importantly that they can afford. Uh, I I think we've seen a lot of of use cases in the mortgage and lending industry specifically that have have tried to find ways of of determining people's credit worthiness uh, more carefully. And one use, especially, was through the use of open banking, which I think is is really a really good way forward. But seeing initiatives like these in the market is just quite reassuring as well. Yeah, I absolutely agree um, entirely with that. And I really hope that other sort of credit reference agencies sort of really take uh, it on board as well. Um, and just generally, we see a movement that is in the benefit of the consumer, you know, and just getting more things on if everything is reliant on a credit score then why not make it easier to have a good credit score and i think at the end of the day that's that's all we can hope for uh, so that was a really nice short, short and sweet one to end the podcast today but thank you so much guys for bringing your stories uh to the discussion 
If uh, you'd like to hear any more about anything we've talked about today or just generally want to learn more about the fintech world, head on over to thefintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights all about fintech. Uh, But then very quickly, let's move on to what I learned this week. So each week, so much new information uh, crosses our desks being on the Fintech Times editorial team. So we wanted to share it with our listeners. So um, Tyler, what did you learn this week? Thanks, Polly. Uh, Yeah, this week I was delving into a story on the introduction of the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill in the UK Parliament and its uh, attempts to make reforms to the EU GDPR, which of course is very poignant given our departure from the EU. Uh, And basically what they want to do is make data use a bit more streamlined, make it a bit more accessible. And it's also uh redefined what it means to have a legitimate interest in somebody else's data which is really interesting so yeah i was glad to cover that story awesome thank you tyler and francis what have you learned this week this week my what i've learned this week is going to be a bit of a teaser for an article that we've got coming up an exclusive and it's about the whatsapp payments in brazil specifically it's received the green light for business payments since 2021 p2p payments have been viable and accessible but now the regulators in Brazil have allowed WhatsApp to venture into the the B2C world. So, yeah, there's going to be customers being able to buy things through small businesses via WhatsApp, which I think is really cool. And like I said, we're going to be doing an article on it. I'm not sure if it will be out by the time this podcast comes out. If it is, keep well, if it isn't, I should say, keep an eye on the FinTech Times. It's going to be it's going to be a banger. Love that. Love that cheeky little promo there. I'm all for it. And what I've learned this week is that AstroPay has launched a new Visa debit card co-branded with the football club Wolverhampton Wanderers. And that just, I enjoyed that news this morning uh, when I was looking for what I learned. Uh, I always love uh, a fun football and fintech partnership. We've done a little bit about those before at the Fintech Times. Uh, so you just you just love to see it. But uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you all about fintech. Um, and I guess I'll catch you on the next one. It's been great, guys. Uh, See you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.